Are you ready, Ma? I am. Are you ready, Christine? I am. Let's go. Let's go to Tampico, Mexico. Tampico? It, is there really a Tampico, Mexico? There is. Yeah. I did some nerd alerts on it. Outstanding. Well, two out-of-work Americans meet up with an old prospector in Mexico to find gold in the Sierra Madre Mountains. What, what could, could go, go wrong? wrong? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I looked up prospector. Everybody kind of has an idea, right? A person who I searches... Don't. A person who searches for mineral deposits by drilling or excavation, usually gold or oil. Mm, there's gold in them there hills. Interesting. Fool's gold. <laughs> Particulars. The treasure of the Sierra Madre, it premiered on January 6th, 1948, written and directed by John Houston, who also did the Maltese Falcon, which I thought we had done, but we have not we done, have the, not Maltese done the Maltese Falcon. The Asphalt Jungle, the African Queen, the Misfits, and the man who would be king, among many others. He's the father of Danny Houston and Angelica Houston. Those are two great actors and actors. Grandfather of Jack Houston, who you may know from Fargo and Boardwalk Empire. And John Houston also act, was an actor. He acted in Chinatown, and he started in Hollywood as a writer. He co-wrote Jezebel, which we did. We did Jezebel. Nerd alert. He was. Uh, he had adventures in the Mexican cavalry. Ah. He also was driving a car that killed Tosca Rolian, who was wife of actor... Raul Rolian. The rumor was that Clark Gable was the one driving the car, mm. and famous studio fixer Eddie Mannix oh. paid John Houston, who at the time was just a, a screenwriter in Hollywood, to take the blame. And then oh. John Houston <laughs> had uh, some trauma from that, from killing a, a woman. And he spent a couple years living in Paris and London. And then he came back to be a serious screenwriter. And then the war broke. And then he directed the Maltese Falcon. That was his directorial. Because he, I figured, he wrote an, a, another script and it was a big Hollywood success. So then they allowed him to direct a picture. He was the Maltese Falcon. That was a huge hit. Then he wanted to make Treasure of the Sierra Madre. But then World War II had something to say about that. So then he directed, during World War II, a bunch of documentaries, including Let There Be Light. And the thing with John Huston and all his war documentaries, they were all very controversial and got censored for different reasons. Um, the Let There Be Light, that one was about psychologically damaged vets, and it was censored and actually suppressed until 1981. I was on Paramount Plus last night. It's on Paramount Plus, Let There Be Light. I watched it. It's a rather long, but it is fascinating because here's this documentary from World War II about, they call it something else, neurosis or something, but it's PTSD. And the, you wow. never see 
World yeah. War II, like, especially these young GIs talking about it. And they had all different, there was a couple of black soldiers as well in it. And it was just pretty fascinating and also, you know, pretty heartbreaking, especially yeah. that that it didn't see the light of day until the 80s because wow. the government was just like, no, this is bad for morale. But yeah, how many for people... morale, but these guys came back and they're yes. all messed up. They have to go to bed during fireworks and uh, yeah. And it was actually really cool because they, the, these were guys and they had all these different problems and they would go to this place for like eight weeks and they're doing all of this, this therapy with them. And by the time like it ends, like you can see a, a difference mm -hmm. in what happened. And it's just like, wow. It, but, it, it, but at the time it was like, you, you daren't say that you had any problems uh, because that would make you seem weak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That it would be like a weakness, but, and the, the thing is like the documentary doesn't even go into like a lot of their psychology of what they is, is like some of it, you know, was the combat, but it isn't the stuff that you would think, you know, like it isn't like, Oh, I saw my buddies get blown to bits and stuff. Like, they don't even have that. It, it's a lot of it is, uh, you know, like there is some of that, but it isn't as graphic and as big a part as you would think. A lot of it is like psycho, like their, like their family issues and stuff like that. Mm. Which, which you're just like, oh man, it could have. You know that there are so many other things, mm -hmm. and like even that little bit. Was like, no, no, you can't be, must be suppressed. You can't handle it. Right, right, like, right. Oh my gosh, he wasn't, like, he wasn't even going where he could have gone. So John Huston's, the themes of his movies often contain religion, meaning, truth, freedom, psychology, colonialism, and war. This is The Treasure of the Sierra Madre is based on the 1927 novel, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, by B. Travin, who is a German author. Well, he's presumably a German novelist because, according to Wikipedia, this guy's real name, nationality, date and place of birth, and details of biography are all subject to dispute. Oh, oh. interesting. And all yet, right. He has a so nobody knows. Yeah. But then it's funny because there are some people that know. So they do know that he lived in Mexico for years and he wrote novels. Um, his most famous, besides this, are the Death Ship and the so-called Jungle Novels, which were the six Death novels. Death Ship sounds interesting. Yeah, it does. Um, it also sounds like a Clive Cussler. It does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Book. Um, he the Jungle Novels novels are six novels published from 1930 to 1939. It is interesting because when they were making this film, a was the representative of B. Travin showed yes. up to the set. Oh. And John Houston is like, that's B. Travin. Like, that's the author. Like, I'll go along with the charade, but <laughs> that's the guy. And so that's kind of how he conducted business would be, you know, he would call up and be the person representing himself. Yeah. But it's still, it, it, it worked because even to this day, people were like, we we don't really know about this guy. 
Hmm. Um, the music is by Max Steiner, who had 24 Academy Award nominations. He won four Academy Awards. His most famous work on movies is the scores for Jezebel, Casablanca, mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind, oh, The okay. Searchers. That's the nice guy did all those? Yeah. I knew I recognized the name, but I didn't know what for. Okay. The 1937 A Star is Born and <laughs> so many others because he did over 300 films. Wow. Um, the director of photography is Ted D. McCord. He also did The Sound of Music, East of Eden, and Johnny Belinda, to name a few. Johnny Belinda? Do not know. I know. I, I, Johnny Belinda came up a few times in this. I'm like, what is oh. this Johnny Belinda? Uh, the editor is Owen Marks, who also edited Casablanca, East of Eden, Arsenic and Old Lace, and a film in 1931 called Alexander Hamilton. What? Oh. Just saying. Starring as Fred C. Dobbs, Humphrey Bogart. You know him from Casablanca, The Big Sleep, The Maltese Falcon, To Have and Have Not. The African Queen, and the biggest head in Hollywood? <laughs> Bigger than mine. I mean, that is quite a noggin. And I have a tasty nugget about it. Oh, oh nice. Walter Houston, who, yes, is the father of the writer-director John Houston. He, in his own right, was an actor and singer, He was also in Duel in the Sun, Mission to Moscow, and Yankee Doodle Dandy. Tim Holt as Bob Curtin. He was in The Magnificent Ambersons, Stagecoach, and Wagon Train. Yes. Bruce Bruce Bennett as James Cody. He was, nerd alert, a silver medalist in the shot put in the 1928 Amsterdam Olympics. And what what part did he play? He was uh, Cody, the guy that comes up. Wow. It's killed. He was a shot. Did you say he was shot put? He was shot put. He looks kind of small to be shot put, doesn't he? Well, this was like 1928, and you know, yeah. it wasn't exactly of, uh, like everyone. We weren't training for that yet. Yeah, and it wasn't like everyone was allowed to go to the Olympics. Yeah. That's oh. True. So, it was, yeah. Yeah, like now well, there's some big old white people that can fit in that too. <laughs> Aren't yeah, there? But, I mean, but not it just seems like, like you're small for you got to be kind of you got to have some muscle behind you. It's yeah. probably before in um um enhancing drugs. Yeah. Oh, but what? this guy was quite an athlete because did I continue writing it down? Yes, I did. So he so he was also then he became in the new adventures of Tarzan, he was Tarzan. <gasps> oh, okay. He was Mildred in Mildred Pierce, Dark Passage. Um, in the 90s, he was in Angels in the Outfield. Oh, I'm thinking of Johnny Weissmuller. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He lived to be 100 years old. And when he was 96, Damn. yeah, when he was 96, he went on his last skydive from 10,000 feet. Damn. Oh, well, maybe we should arrange one for Green Mommy. Well, I thought she would do it. I know she would do it. And you know what? She Adam would do it with her. He would jump right back up and say, let's do it again. Yeah, we. I'm like, oh, anything over 10 feet. Hmm. 
I fall off of a stepladder, so. Um, Barton McLean as Pat McCormick. He was in I Dream of Jeannie, You Only Live Once, and The Maltese Falcon. Nerd alert. He was famous for playing tough guys. And the kids of the day would say, don't give me that Barton McLean to cops and teachers that were sassing them. Oh. They were trying to be, oh, you think you're tough. Don't give me that Barton McLean. Well, okay then. Let's bring that back. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he was in YOLO. So Alfonso Bedoya as Gold Hat. He's a Mexican actor. He was in over 175 Mexican films. Some of them included The Headless Woman, I Am a Real Mexican, and The Big Country. Arturo Soto Rengal as El Presidente. He was in over 250 Mexican films. Damn, how do you keep track at that point? I don't know. Just, just a lot. Just he was just cashing them checks. You know, like if you're, it's not like you had a computer to write them all down. No, but he notches on his headboard. Yeah. Just (laughs) um, the Miracle Roses, Rebel Without a House, and Mm. Everybody's Woman. Mm. <laughs> and then John Houston is he makes a cameo as the American in the white suit in Tampico. That's the director, John. Oh, Houston. okay. Who gets hit up three times. Mm-hmm. That's the director, John Houston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. He 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 aged, you know, as people do. Well, he always had a that's why it's I wondered what his mother looked like because he it doesn't really look like his father at all to me. Mm. But then like when you see Angelica Houston and Danny Houston, you're like, oh, I, I see the resemblance. Okay. Like I, I see the res you don't you never saw the resemblance in Angelica Houston? To John Houston? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Kind of long faces. Yeah. Yeah, John used to have a really long face, kind of like a big droopy, like just mm-hmm. baggage, which I relate to. Like, As that, do I. Look at that handsome man with all that baggage under his eyes. That's right. <laughs> That's beauty right there. Yeah. He's going for a month vacation, not a week. <laughs> are we to me setting the table? I believe we are. Well, in Mexico, in 1925... We find a dirty, tattered, and broke Humphrey Bogart begging for food money. A little boy is relentlessly selling lottery tickets. Do you know who that little boy was? Yes. No. Oh, okay. I don't. Well, what was it? Okay. Well, okay. When I was watching this, so you know, when we were watching it, we have our POC count, so I always have to have my notes, and the little boy comes in, and I go to ma- mark the note. Now, Real hardcore, the hardcore 15 who always listen to this know that I am horrible at identifying wigs. I never can identify a wig. And as I was about he was to wearing a wig? Down, that little boy, that was the worst wig ever because I was about to mark it down and I was like, wait a second, wait a second. 
I bet that's a little white child I did under think that. contract at Warner Brothers. And so I, I didn't write it down. Then I'm doing the particulars. Lo and behold, that little boy is Robert Blake. Yes. See, that's, that's it. That is the exact expression I expected. But he was in our gang as a little boy, as a child yeah. actor. Yeah, but that's not how Teeny knows him. And she wouldn't oh, know, know him from um, from Beretta. Beretta either. No, but she would know him for from the murder. <laughs> from being acquitted of the 2001 murder of Bonnie Lee Bakley. Remember? He, they just did it on, I think they, uh, was it on My Favorite Murder? They, they, it was just recently that um, I was listening to it. Yeah. Again. Yeah. yeah. And I was a, haven't been listening since they've been on vacation. So, ah, uh, I, I go back because I listen at work. So I, I would miss a lot of the stuff. But yeah, he murdered her, but he got acquitted in 2001. And then in 2005, in a civil suit, he was found liable for her death. It was, yeah, he it went was. crazy. This little boy is yeah. a murderer? Yeah. yeah. He went crazy. Mm. Crazy. <clears throat> and, and Probably because like they put a wig on him and made him play a Mexican. Yeah. Okay. Back to setting the table. <laughs> That's a hot take, but I love it. <laughs> okay, so Robert Blake is relentlessly selling lottery tickets and Dobbs finally buys one. He meets another broke American on a park bench. He always manages to have cigarettes, although he has no money for food. Well, cigarettes were cheap. Three times he asked the same American for money. That was the director, John Houston. He and Curtin, the other American, are hired by a man named McCormick to build what looks like could become an oil rig. Yeah. But they don't get paid. They were hoodwinked and bamboozled. Let us stray. In a hostel, they meet an old prospector who tells them all about hunting for gold in the Sierra Madre Mountains. And so it begins. All right, it's available on HBO Max to watch. It is, and we are going to spoil it for you. We're going to spoil it. I recommend it because it's one of the classic films that people talk about. I do, too. Can I just say a note about HBO Max if they're listening? (laughs) I'm sure they are. (laughs) If you're listening, improve your app. Yes. Yeah, like HBO, HBO has so much money. They have the best shows out there. They've got all these videos. And they can't make an app that you can watch a whole movie without having to restart the app. Oh. Wow. But be, be, you should totally watch it on there. It's worth it. But Yes. Are you watching it on your phone or computer? A PlayStation. Oh, interesting. I think it's a PlayStation issue. It's yeah, a, I do it's too. It's an HBO Max for PlayStation app issue. And I've, I've oh. heard they're working on a... Um, fix, but okay. I mean, come on, because these aren't problems that she has with Netflix. I don't right. have these problems. Netflix has never stopped on me. That's what we're saying. And and we 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 give you call outs all the time, so get mm-hmm. it fixed. So we are to aforesaid POC. Okay, so for the POC <laughs> count, I have two for sure. 
which would be Gold Hat and uh, El Presidente. But then after that, I'm sure that there's more, but we have a, a Hollywood Robert Blake type situation going on when I'm looking in the background and stuff and I'm wondering how many of these are like people of European descent? Yeah, that's the bandits. Yeah, like yeah. for sure there's an actress Anne Sheridan who is credited as a streetwalker and she's not of Mexican descent. So there were because they did um, shoot some of this on location, which mm-hmm. was a big deal at the time. It was one of the first Hollywood productions that went outside of the United States to shoot on location. And they said that most of the Mexican extras were paid 10 pesos a day, which was a lot for that time and for that region. Hmm. So there definitely are uh, people of color, but it gets... It's hard to those. tell, and when it's black and white and you're... Yeah, you don't, we don't really know. Yeah, right, right. And so, power of cast. Okay, so I have, from the movie, um, Dobbs, especially in the beginning, how he has nothing, he's a beggar, and yet he still acts like he's better than the local people there because he's an American and because he's white. And I thought that it was interesting how these are two guys who don't have a job or anything. They're Americans. They're down in Mexico. And they don't get hassled by the authorities at all. When if it was the opposite mm-hmm. to, you know, Mexicans out of work, down and out, you know that they would be, like, just arrested for something, you know, th- th- harassed and stuff. These guys were, like, taking baths in the the town square, you yeah. know? They're, like, washing their I hair mean, after And just fight. asking for money. Yeah. Yeah. Just I, be, basically I, being beggars. I thought it was funny that Americans were looking for jobs in Mexico. Yeah. These, these, these guys were, but... It seemed like they just, like, um, then what I got is that they just, were like, traveled there for a job, and then we're there, and we're going to take them to where the next job got them, you know? Yeah. Yes. And I have a little bit more on that coming up. Um, also, Howard, as the white savior, when he does his really weird CPR on the little mm-hmm. boy. Mm-hmm. The arm moves. I had a hard time believing that you guys are like natives here and you don't like like That's they wouldn't know how to cure the kid. That's what I said. Yeah, they would have had a doctor of some kind among them. Yeah. Which brings me to I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. So get your thinking caps on. I found this article on the internet called An American Take on Mythic Mexico and its Revolution in the Wild Bunch by Aaliyah Haddad. And in that article, she references the book Gunfighter Nation, colon, The Myth of Frontier in 20th Century America by Richard Slotkin. And so he says that Mexico portrayed in this movie and in later movies was that of a mythic space with four separate parts. So he really credited the, the treasures of the Sierra Madre as being a breaking point from previous other Westerns in that how it separated the mythic 
Mexico into these four parts. So the four main stereotypes were one, the city, which was a dark divide between downrotted, the downtrodden poor and the corrupt wealthy. Two, the primitive Pueblo, where it was simple justice under one person, like a mayor or sheriff. And then there was the wilderness camp that had no laws but guns. And four was the village, which was like an Eden-like paradise. And so you can kind of see that play out in the motifs after that in different Westerns, such as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Except that's not Mexico, it's Bolivia. But to Americans, it's like the same kind of thing, how it's those four tropes of Mexico. And it's very interesting because, and this is something that as Americans, we don't get taught because we hardly get taught about our real history. But the Mexican Revolution happened from 1910 to 1920. And that was a huge event in Mexico. And not Mm -hmm. only in Mexico, because it had reverberations across really the world. It was one of the the biggest events of the 21st century. Um, 1.5 million people died and over 200,000 refugees fled. And so what had happened was when, because remember, you know, Mexico was a bit of the, it's in the Americas. So, you know, there were people who were already there in the land, mm-hmm. indigenous people, and then Spain came and colonized them. Um, and brought their and, language. Yeah, brought the language and their customs and stuff. And so then when Mexico became independent, um, eventually they had this dictator and he ruled the country for about 30 years. And he basically sold out his country to industries. He was like, oh, yeah, come down here. You can come down here for oil. You can come down here for this. And he was neglecting the poor people in the rural areas who came from indigenous people. So they probably had darker skin. Um, so that's where I'm tying it into the power of caste because they were here and the Europeans came made a whole bunch of money, they're like, we are living below poverty's poverty line. Like, we are so impoverished. What the hell? So he got overthrown, and then it was this situation where nobody could decide the best course because everybody was like, this dictator's got to go, but then the next person would come in and they would be like, well, what about these people? And then he he would get taken out. And then exactly. so it was it was just a real um, a whole bunch of fighting going on, real unstable. Nobody really knew who was in charge, and a lot of the poor people were like, "Well, look, this is our time to shine. Like we're not going to take it anymore. We're fed up. Where's our money? This is ridiculous." Spoiler alert. So you know that America played a part in it. And it's funny on Wikipedia when I click on the link of America's involvement in the Mexican Revolution, it says, oh, it, it's, it's overblown what right. the American involvement was. Meanwhile, there's this huge Wikipedia page. <laughs> like in the first paragraph, it says, oh, you did this. But it's overblown how much America interfered in the Mexican Revolution. It's like, really? Then why are there all these listings of all the things that America did? Also, when we, by the time you get into the 20s, 
remet look who was the president of the united states once again our fuck boy woody wilson um and so his goal fuck boys was that america should teach other countries and that the united states should be the conscious of the world this coming from a racist piece of shit um so his thing was like we need to spread democracy and and promote peace but if you go on to look about the mexican revolution it's very interesting all the sides flip and flop back and forth it's like the u.s backs this person then the u.s backs this person the u.s is against pancho villa now the u.s is for pancho villa now they're against him and stuff so it's just really crazy and that's what's going on in mexico at the time but that's never what is de- portrayed in the movies to be right. like there's all of this uh everybody's meddling there's all of this instability and meanwhile like the, you know the, the poor people of course are stuck at the bottom and the ones who are at the bottom generally tend to have the darkest skin but have also been the ones where this they were here first right so power of cast well done christine do you have any other power of cast moments no nor did I. So I'm glad you went down that rabbit hole. It's pretty much, uh, um, isn't that Central America's issue all the time? Who is in charge? I mean, Haiti's, not that that's Central America, but Haiti's um, president, leader just got assassinated. They, they, they assassinate, but they don't have anything to replace it. That's where the problem lies. Yes, and then, and plus the answer to every question is money. So it's it. I, the Daily did a thing about the Haiti thing, and that was interesting because he was a guy who came in with the best of intentions. But a lot of times, when you're looking at something from the outside, you have all of these ideas of what you want to do, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. when you get into the situation, then it's like, oh well, the people who actually are in charge of running the country, they don't want to give up. What exactly. they have, and then- what was that movie we did? The guy w- went to the island. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He he was the king oh. something. Yeah, because he oh. he had all good intentions of making equality and everything, but then you get in it and you go, I kind of like this luxury, you know. Well, so, it's the same thing with this movie and the the how the prospecting starts, and the guy was like, Oh well, yeah. You know, you're gonna get ten thousand, but he's like, no, I just that's all I need, ten thousand, I'd be good. And it's like, yeah, but once you get that ten thousand, then you want to get twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. Once you get that twenty, it's that disease of more. Exactly. So we are to nerd alerts. All right. So this movie came out in January of 1948. So I went back and to set up like the world that it was coming out in. So I had to go back into 1947. Um, in 1947, India got its independence from the British Empire. Hmm. The National Security Act of 1947 established the United States Air Force, the National Security Council, and the Central Intelligence Agency. Oh, well, there you go. Um, the House of Un-Americans Committee started investigating yes. communism in Hollywood, and Meet the Press debuted. Oh my gosh! I mean, just to give you like a little bit of something that happened in 1948, like later, um, 
the Warner Brothers, which was this studio that did this movie, they showed the first color newsreel, and it was the Tournament of the Roses Parade and the Rose Bowl. Oh, wow. Which I thought, that, I'm like, yes, that would be a great first color wheel, mm-hmm. you know, the rose Oh, bowl. my gosh, all those, all yeah. those flowers. And then also in 1948, I mean, India did get its independence from the British Empire, but Gandhi was assassinated in 1948. Mm. So. Hmm. Alrighty then. That's, yeah. Oh, I have... More nerd alerts. Does anybody else have nerd alerts? I don't. I leave that to you. All right. I have some, but I have two. I have two. Okay. Go. Okay. Well, they kept talking about centavos, and I didn't know what that was. Oh, yeah. And the centavo is a Spanish and Portuguese word that means 100th. And it's a fractional monetary unit that represents one hundredth of a basic monetary unit in many countries around the world. The term comes from the Latin, the Latin centrum, which means one hundred, with the added suffix avo, which means portion. Oh, so it's so it's like a penny. Penny, yeah. Oh. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I did a little nerd alert about gold digging. Ooh, yes. Okay. So there's a lot of information out there. So I'm sure I'm not going to cover a lot of it. Here's what I looked up. (laughs) If you want to know more, go to Google. (laughs) The exact date that humans first began to mine gold is unknown, but some of the oldest known gold artifacts were found in the Varna necropolis in Bulgaria. What movie are you saying took place in Bulgaria? You said Bolivia. Okay, two different yeah. places. Right, right. Very different. <laughs> Not the same place. Um, so I'm surprised gold was in Bulgaria. I would think Bolivia would make more sense. I think gold is probably, maybe, oh, go ahead. The graves of the necropolis were built between 4700 and 4200 BC, indicating that gold mining could be at least 7,000 years old. Jeez. Wow. A group of German and Georgian archaeologists claims that sac- there's fireworks happening for some reason. Oh no! Um, there was a site in southern Georgia dating to the third and fourth millennium BC, and it may be the world's oldest known gold mine. Wow! That's the Georgia that's over by Russia, right? Yeah. Not, <laughs> not Atlanta. Not the yes. Atlanta. <laughs> no. Uh, it's a S-A-K-D-R-I-S-I, and I didn't know how to say it, so I just didn't. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I can't yeah. read when it's auto yeah. to me. So, there's your history of gold mining, but apparently it's very not good for the earth. Mm. Um, and there's a website called theworldcounts.com. Um, and you know what? I didn't do a lot of research about the website, so, uh, but, <laughs> I mean, it seems, le- seems legit, but they have all these counters on here, so they, as of this year, it says that there's, now, I think that's million, and it might be billion. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that might be billion. 
4.5 billion tons of toxic waste produced from gold mining really? this year. One, there's a lot of tons of gold mined this year. This is like, these numbers are crazy. Um, 30 billion, 400 something energy use from this year in gigajoules. I don't even know what a gigajoule is. A lot. Yeah. Oh. Uh, 345 million days lost as a result of mercury intoxication from gold mining. Oh my gosh. So it ain't good. Um, and earthworks.com said that gold mining is one of the most destructive industries in the world. It can displace communities, contaminate drinking water, hurt workers, and destroy the pristine environments. It pollutes water and land with mercury and cyanide, endangering the health of people and ecosystems around it. Producing gold for one wedding ring alone generates 20 tons of waste. Oh, look at me oh. doing my part. Yeah, right? Oh, no. <laughs> um, had we only known, we wouldn't have had gold. Uh, Mexico is the world's 11th largest producer of gold. Wow. I want to say they said China was the number one. I could be wrong. Um, but as of February 6th, 2014, this is kind of old. It's probably a lot more now. 104 retailers have taken the important step of signing on to the No Dirty Gold campaign's golden rules for more responsible sourcing of precious metals the Golden Rules Jewelers represents $9.2 billion in U.S. jewelry sales, or 13% of the U.S. jewelry market, which isn't a lot. 13%? They're still yeah, yeah, yeah. 87% out there. And include eight of the top 10 retail jewelers in the U.S. Um, U.S. jewelry sales in 2012 totaled $71.3 billion. Globally, jewelry demand accounts for the equivalent of about 43% of mine production. Consumers were expected to spend $4.4 billion on jewelry for Valentine's Day in 2013. 20% of all Valentine's Day gifts were jewelry. Wow. Not over here. Which is crazy because I never thought of gold that way. Like, I know that my di the diamonds in my ring were, like, ecologically friendly. I, you know, like, I know that, like, there's a lot of information about like diamonds. Like, blood diamonds, yeah. Yeah. And, like mining for diamonds the right way or whatever you do right right sustainably sourced i guess is the term but i didn't really know that about gold i didn't either i never thought about it <clears throat> i just thought that we had the gold and that that you know mm -hmm. it they just melted down yep recycle oh. but it's not um that's mm -hmm. interesting I have about Tampico. So Tampico mm -hmm. is on the eastern coast of Mexico. It's about 700 miles south of Galveston, Texas. You know that, like, tip of Texas? It's, it's like 700 miles down that way. Okay. And, then, and it's known for... And the architecture is compared to that of Venice and New Orleans. And then Durango, which was where they were traveling to, that is 900 miles northwest of Tampico. So it's kind of up and like in the heart of Mexico. And it makes sense when you look at what the Sierra Madre mountains are. But I, I was fascinated by it because I thought that Durango was closer 
to Tampico. Then when I looked at it, I was like, oh, my gosh, they traveled a really long way. Hmm. So that was interesting. Um, the top grossing films of 1948 were <clears throat> number five, Easter Parade. Number four. We've done Easter Parade. Yeah. We did? No? Judy Garland? No, that was Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh, darn. Sorry. So number five was Easter Parade. Number four was Johnny Belinda. See, when that happens... That's a a big hit, apparently. Number three was The Pale Face. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Number two was Red River. And the, the number one film of 1948 was The Red Shoes. Hmm. That's another one I've heard about and heard about. Oh, okay. I never had heard of... I have heard of The Red Shoes. I've heard of Easter Parade. So the Oscar nominations, uh, the Best Picture ones, were The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. So this was nominated for Best Picture. The Snake Pit, which we are not (sighs) doing. No, but it... Yeah, okay. The Red Shoes. Uh-huh. Johnny Belinda. Yeah. And the winner of the best picture for this year was Hamlet by one Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. Which, okay. Uh, that surprises me, though. I mean, it's kind of highbrow. Hamlet's kind of high. <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, again, at least, I don't know. When people say Hamlet, I think Sir Lawrence Olivier, oh, yeah. even though I've never even seen. I guess I should. I guess I guess we're gonna have to do it because he is supposed to be like the greatest actor of all time. So. Oh, he's the goat. Eh? Well, I don't. People. I just remember growing up. People were like, who do you think you are, Olivier? That was often <laughs> said in our household. Often, you're like, oh, look at you acting like you're a little like you're a little Larry Olivier over here. Wow. And people believe this shit, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, We are all ready to reheatable. And I am going to state here, well, it was, it's a tasty nugget, but it was a negative for me. Humphrey Bogart's wig. Yes, that was. Now, who, who was Humphrey Bogart's character? The bad dude. Dobbs. The guy who goes crazy. Dobbs. That's Humphrey Bogart. That's who Humphrey Bogart. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is never, it? Okay. Never seen him before. See my first Humphrey Bogart experience. So aren't you kind of like, because you've heard of Humphrey Bogart, right? Yeah. Do you know who I thought he was? Who? Somebody yeah. a lot better looking, I'll bet. No. Lucille Ball did a, there, he was in an episode of I Love Lucy. Humphrey Bogart? No, it wasn't Humphrey oh, Bogart. Oh. Who I thought Humphrey Bogart was. I wonder if it's like Peter Lorre or something. Harpo Marx. Harpo, I get okay. the two of them mixed up. Humphrey Bogart and Harpo <laughs> Marx. Okay. That's like in my mind. Same time period. In yeah. my mind, Humphrey Bogart has always been Harpo Marx. So what? when you said Humphrey Bogart, I thought we were going to be watching a comedy. We did do a Marx Brothers comedy once. So. Okay, that's interesting. That's so funny because I, I know 
I got introduced to Harpo Marx when you remember you and my dad went to a costume party. Yes, yes. And he had a blonde wig and he was Harpo Marx. And I was like, what? And he had a horn to beep because Harpo never talked. Yeah. So that that is pretty funny. But so yeah, I didn't I know that Humphrey Bogart was like a sex symbol. How? Right. How? I never understood how. He was short. He had bad teeth. Well, nothing against short guys. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, for a sex symbol in Hollywood? I mean, like, my dad, Adam is taller than my dad, so you can't be. He's the tallest in our family, so I don't think he's short. <laughs> yeah, I think he's good looking. He's got, but he's the- got like a little bit of a receding hairline. Wow. Not in this movie. He had no. no hair in this movie. He was complete. Well, that's see, that's the thing. That was what I was getting to with Humphrey Bogart. So you grow up now, like people who are especially younger than me, hearing about Humphrey Bogart. Then when I you first see a Humphrey Bogart film, you're like, wait, this is Bogey. This is Humphrey Bogart. This is the guy who got Lauren Bacall. Like, I mean, he's then- good looking. But right, but then like this isn't because this is you know this year Madre, so he's all scruffy and stuff. But when we did what was it, The Big Sleep, we talked about it too. And Casablanca, yeah, he is that guy who he isn't. He's just got that certain something that makes him more attractive. Where by the end of it, you're kind of watching it going like, oh. I get it, but at the same time, like, I have two minds of it, because on one hand, I totally get it, like, yeah, he's got that thing, and on the other hand, I'm still like, but that's Humphrey Bogart, huh? Mm -hmm. But that's how it is with, like, Tom Cruise for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People think he's such a dreamboat, and I just, like, don't see it. No, I don't either. I mean, there was a time when I, I was never, well, but I was older, so that's good, but, um, I liked him, but now I don't even like him very much. Okay, yeah, we're getting never, off topic. He was never in my type. I guess I'm more like into the blondes, like McConaughey, Pitt, you know. But um, but the thing like with Bogart, he, I think that part of his appeal was that he wasn't a pretty boy, and so and guys, he gave no fucks. Yeah, and so guys liked him because he was exactly. like, "Look at this guy. He's he, and he's the he's the go getter, and he you know he doesn't care." And then women just were like, "Oh, he's got he's confident. Okay, mm. you know, because women aren't as uh, I think in general as superficial as far as the looks go." Yeah, I think that's why it explains Humphrey Bogart being a sex symbol. Yeah. James Gandolfini. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, you know? it's like realistic men. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about, like, the masculine kind of thing where it's like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. You... Did you just say James Gandolfini? hmm He's a sex symbol? Jeez, Some yeah. people thought Some so, yeah. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I love him, but... Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, he he was. Well, like, that's why the dad bod is in mm-hmm. style. <laughs> this is but what I'm saying. There's a whole TikTok trend right now that's 
trying to convince women that they can't have a flat stomach because you're, they're like, literally, that's your organs. Like, no matter how much weight you lose, some women are going to have not a flat stomach because your organs are there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we still haven't figured that out. It's still not okay. Right. So some people probably have part of their intestines taken out so that their stomach can be flat. I mean, I have, like, I have that. And, and I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh. Yeah, that's my intestines. Yeah. Boy, I have a lot of intestines. <laughs> I know. I told one of the girls we were talking about at work the other day, and I was like, don't worry. You must not have any intestines. So <laughs> you just don't have any organs. Yeah. It is, uh, like a lot of it is just, it's completely just the cards that you are dealt of how your body is and how your yeah. body is shaped and what you're prone to be like, I was, I'm never going to be a svelte woman. You know, my nickname's never going to be string bean. I, I just, I came up and, and there was like, Oh, she's never, you know, nobody's ever going to fear that Aaron's going to get blown away in a windstorm. Like, this is a, a nice grounded woman here. <laughs> or as people have called me sturdy, 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 yeah, yeah, sturdy. <laughs> I I am a sturdy broad. <laughs> okay, well, Humphrey's wig was Oh, that's where you were. Up. Okay. Yes, I was. Uh his teeth his bottom teeth were jacked. Everybody's teeth were yeah. jacked. Yeah. And um you know, greed is yeah. a negative for you. Okay, others? Um I mean, I guess were sunglasses not invented then? I I don't know. I didn't that even is... think about that. Well, I'm Googling when were sunglasses. Because in... I mean, okay, sunglasses were invented Art? in the 12th century by the Chinese. Yeah. Because oh. Raiders of the Lost Ark had them. So why didn't they have sunglasses? Yeah, really. That and a fedora instead of a bigger brimmed hat. And well, maybe, because, but okay. you know why the fedora instead of a, because if he wore a sombrero, that I bet he didn't. He looked down upon that. I bet that's power of caste with the sombrero. Probably, but there's a bigger brimmed hat that. But there's something between a fedora and a sombrero. <laughs> well, here we go. Primitive sunglasses were worn by the Inuit all the way back in prehistoric times, but these were merely walrus ivory with slits in them. Mm. The pictures are crazy. They look like the 3D glasses you wear, kind of, but just like Mm -hmm. one slit in them. Good for helping with snow blindness, but not particularly fashionable. That's pretty cool to me. Um, (laughs) Legend has it that Emperor Nero watched gladiator fights wearing emerald lenses, but many historians cite this Mm. claim as iffy. Uh, the Chinese made a slight improvement over the Inuit model in the 12th century when they used smoky quartz for lenses, but the specs were used for concealing judges' facial expressions oh. rather than style or sunlight purposes. In the mid-1700s, a London optician began experimenting with green lenses to help with certain vision problems, and indeed, green is best the best color for protecting your peepers from the sun rays. Um, emerald tinted specs remained quite the rage for some time as evidenced by several mentions in the works of Nathaniel Hawthorne and Edgar Allan Poe 
It wasn't until the 20th century that modern sunglasses as we know them were invented. In 1929, Sam Foster began selling the first mass-produced shades, which soon became a hot fashion item on the Atlantic City boardwalk. A few years later, Bosch and Loam got in the act when the company began making sunglasses for the American military aviators, a design that changed that has changed little since General Douglas MacArthur sparked a new trend when he wore a beard to the movies. Oh. So... Perhaps the most important technological improvement has been polarized lenses introduced in the 1930s. So these people should have had some damn sunglasses. Yes, yes. And this is from the sunglassmuseum.com, so it's got to be... And they should have been for sale in the market. Yeah. I mean, somebody should have been they selling going in a windstorm in the desert without any sunglasses? You're going to go gold mining without sunglasses on? I mean... Well, uh, these are the sharpest tools in the shed, guys. Well, true that. You know. Um, and then my other negative was gold digging without any knowledge of gold digging. Yeah. It's like going on like a 20-mile hike without knowing, I don't know, like you're just going out there. They just like brought their body. They didn't bring anything. They just like right. brought their bodies and that was it. One thing on mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because they got this. Because I'm going to say it because they're white men. They, they, that they, that's the caucasity right there. Yeah. Yeah. Ray Ban was created in 1936. Okay. By the American company Bausch and Lomb. So there we big, go. Big Ray Ban fan. I thought Ray Bans were Italian. Um. I, uh, I'll let you do your negative. Uh, Italian American luxury brand. Oh. Okay. <laughs> And your negatives, Erin. All right. Um, the sound of the punches in the fight in the cantina. Oh, made I thought me that was great. Loud. But then, I know, it, it was kind of because then the fight itself I thought was pretty good. I especially liked that there was no music in it. And I like that the it kind of seemed like a real fight. Like, have you ever watched people kind of fight and they're just, just like, what's going on? There's Again, just a whole they didn't know of, how to fight. Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of like grappling going on. I'm Rolling like, around. That just seems real, real, except for the we I I like the the nice the nice percussion. Like with the I was raised on the Bruce Lee. Psh, psh, psh. Like a yeah. na, you know, a nice nice snazzy sharp kick. But that's me. Um it was set in the nineteen twenties Mexico, but the street fashions in Tampico were that of the thirties and forties vintage. Oh, I did notice uh, that. Jack L. Warren, he was like, all right, you guys can go shoot there, but we <laughs> we don't have enough money to now take over everything and get those old cars off and replace them with new cars and all that stuff. Like, that stuff, when you're watching period pieces, that costs a pretty penny. Yes, yes I'm sure. Um, I Okay, this was my negative reheatable, but there's more to it so Dobbs's death I thought because I was just like is that it is he dead because he come, the guy comes down the gold hat comes down with the machete uh-huh. and you don't see it and I'm just uh-huh. like that's Humphrey Bogart he's a big time star he's in this movie and we don't 
I'm I'm pretty sure he didn't survive that blow, but but since we didn't see it, I've been trained to be like, well, we didn't see him die. So I just thought it was kind of odd that that's how Dobzy goes out in this film. Then I found out that originally it was way more graphic. Mm-hmm. In fact, John Huston, he got, um, Dobzy gets decapitated and there's a fake head that rolls. And of course the censors were like, no, you can't have a <laughs> fake Humphrey Bogart head rolling down. So they, of course, had to censor it and stuff. And then Humphrey Bogart, this man had so many quotes. He said, what's wrong with showing a guy getting his head cut off? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, your audience isn't going to be questioning. Is he coming back later? And also because that guy was a piece of shit. Like, Dobzy's a piece of shit. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to see his death. And you're not going to pay for two wigs. Take the wig off of Humphrey's real head, put it on the fake head. There we go. Saving money. In 1948, uh, are are we a little, maybe should we be a little uncomfortable about what the fake head was (laughs) when they're down in Mexico? (laughs) Okay, stop, Aaron. Stop right there. (laughs) Oh, no. Do not continue. Um... I thought that it was funny how Dobbs and Howard, uh, so Howard was the old guy. But to me, when I'm watching this, I'm like, y- y'all sure you're not the same age? Like, <laughs> he kept saying, like, hey, old man. I'm like, you guys look like you're contemporaries. But turns out Humphrey Bogart, he was 48, a hard 48. Yeah, he, he was a hard living man. He was a hard living man. And Walter was 64. So there is a bit of an age difference, but I'm like, uh, bogey. He just, man, hard, hard life. Um, and then my, I don't know who to direct this ire towards, but for me, and maybe this is a user error. Why wasn't the Spanish subtitled? I put subtitles on and then I'm reading it. And then all of a sudden when they're speaking Spanish, the subtitles are in Spanish. And then the last 20 minutes of the movie was all in Spanish. Yeah. Which like jokes on us for not knowing Spanish, but like, why wasn't there English subtitles? I I did really wonder about that. It, it, you know, I am used to, you know, because of where I live, being able to just glean things using context clues. Exactly. Yeah, and you can figure it out, but it was just strange too. that there was not. Mm-hmm. I actually have that as a positive. Oh. Well, I can see that as a positive, but it's also kind of, um, if you put the subtitles on, it would help with being able to speak Spanish. Because... Like, that's how a lot of people, isn't it, haven't people, like, they watch Friends, and they, and that's how they learn English, by watching Friends, because it has, like, the subtitles with their language, but then they're hearing the English, and so they're able to, like, oh, that word, oh, balsa, bag, you know, and, like, pick things out, so I kind of would have, while I understand the thing of, like, oh, this is Spanish, if, if you're a hearing impaired person, though, like I just thought it was hilarious that, okay, I'm a hearing impaired person, so I have the closed captioning on. And 
they're talking in English, so there's the, the caption is in English. But then when it comes to it being in Spanish, then the caption is in Spanish. It does replicate what is going on, but we have the technology now where it. I think that they, like they should have subtitled. Well, it. and for closed captioning, I clicked English closed captioning. Like yeah. you know. Yeah, that's what I did. It's like if you click Spanish, would it, like on the other end, if you were trying to watch it, if you speak Spanish, and you were trying to watch it, would all of the English been in, in English still? Because then I you doubt. wouldn't have gotten eighty percent of the movie. Yeah, they, it would have been in Spanish. So that's why I just think that it's very interesting. Agreed. I was impressed that they were sticking to this is Mexico, so let's speak Spanish, which is Well, I like that they actually spoke it. And I liked that, I did like that they kept it in there and didn't have like Ah. the Mexican people speaking English. Okay, okay. Okay. But I just wish they would have had the subtitles being English. I did think that. And I thought I should probably be clicking something else, but I was like, uh... And so I'm glad to know that I didn't need to go on that tangent. Yes, I'm not saying by any means that when like the, the, the Spanish yeah. people in Mexico should have been speaking English so I can understand them. No, not at all. Speak your native language. But I'm saying in 2021, if I have the closed caption on, I expect that what they're speaking in Spanish should be translated into English for me to read. Okay, HBO Max, take note of that as well. Add that to it. your list. There you go. Um, so, yeah. Oh, but so Walter, he spoke Spanish in this film. Walter Houston, he actually did not speak Spanish. His father had um, a Mexican person speak his lines and record it. And then Walter just listened to it over and over and over again. And, you know, he's an actor, so he just said his lines. Like Antonio Banderas in Mumbo Kings. Uh, and also the Tom Hanks Philadelphia. Ah, the uh-huh. phonetic. Those are my bad reheatables. Okay, so we are to positive reheatables. I've already given you one of mine. Mm-hmm. Also that they did employ some people of Mexican heritage as actors. Yes. Um, Panning for gold, this is the only reason that it's a positive for me, is one time we took a vacation. I'm going to say I was maybe seven, so my brother was nine and my sister was 12. We went to North Carolina and we panned for rubies. (laughs) You were supposed to be able to find, my parents were really into gemstones at the time and making their own jewelry. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went and I don't think Paul was into making jewelry. He was into the gemstones and then let Grammy make the jewelry. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. You know, again, like the baskets, you think, oh, my God, people are going to flock to me. I'm going to be rich because this is something I can. Yeah, that never happened. But um. Okay, so that was just a memory that uh, I remember that not being a, one of our best vacations because the family was put to work <laughs> and and uh, they didn't find what they were looking for and this was before air conditioning and 
three kids in the back seat. It, North it wasn't Carolina. Good. Yeah, it wasn't a good look. Okay. I did like that the old man, before they left, said we have mm-hmm. to put the mountain back. Yeah, they were like, all right, we're going to leave. It's like, well, it's going to be another week because we have to put the mountain back. And which is insistent on it. Since then, gold panners haven't done, which is why we have the environmental issues we have. Well, because, gold. yeah, because right. Howard's whole thing was we have to be respectful. Like the mountain gave us this gold. We need to put it back whole the way that we found it. Mm-hmm. But people don't have that sort of respect for the land. I also liked that the lead actor was the bad guy and he died. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Okay, other people's positives. Um, I'm trying to find out where, because I remember as a child, one of our field trips we would take, being from North Carolina, is to go mining for fool's gold. Oh. And you would, like, have your little tray. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With, like, a, uh, uh, like a screen on top so that you would Reed's skip. gold mine. Reed's gold mine. Oh, my God. Okay. It was called Reed's gold mine. I'm so sorry. Mac is having a moment over here. Um, in Cabarrus County. They're closed today, but they open again at 9 a.m. on Tuesday. The site of the first documented discovery of gold in the United States. I don't believe that, but that's what it says on their website. Panning Panning for for rubies rubies in North Carolina. Is that at Reed's Gold Mine? Can you do that there? Mason's Ruby and Sapphire Mine. There's, of course, the Cherokee Ruby and Sapphire. I never heard about sapphires. Mason's old cardinal gem mine. So it's a little different from the gold mine. Yeah. Well, apparently North Carolina led the nation in gold production until 1848 when it was eclipsed by the great rush to California. Yeah, it'd be like, uh, I believe the 49ers have something to say about that. What was your yeah. teeny? That's why they're the 49ers. Reed's gold mine. Okay. There are lots of mines here. John, well, here we here we are. John Reed was a soldier who left the British Army near the conclusion of the Revolutionary War and came to settle near fellow Germans living in the lower Piedmont of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. The Germans. Okay. So uh, what I'm hearing is a traitor set up. In 1802, a Fayetteville jeweler identified the gold nugget. He pur- he purchased it for the asking price of three dollars and fifty cents, one tenth of the percent of its true value. Yeah, we used to go to Reed's gold mine. Um, that is so funny. Portions of the underground tunnels at the Reed mine have been restored for guided tours. A visitors can a visitor center contains exhibits of gold and historical mining equipment. And an orientation film highlights the first gold discovery and tours of a restored ore crushing stamp mill are offered. There's also a picnic area. For your picnic baskets. Mm -hmm. And there was one in Germany we went to. We did? Um, You didn't. I went on a field trip. And you know how much I loved field trips. When you were the teacher or the parent? The teacher. It's only a half hour from um, 
It's only 29 minutes from my parents' house. If you guys want to wow. go mining, mining for some gold. Um, yeah. yeah. So that just came back to me when you were talking about mining for rupees. Yeah. <laughs> so They're like once a year on a field trip. Our lives are so similar. <laughs> scary. No wonder, no wonder you became one of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but my positive reheatables, the term small potatoes. Mm-hmm. I love that as a term. Yeah. Small potatoes. Small potatoes. Small potatoes can be good. Small potatoes make the best mashed potatoes. Make the best stew. Putting the mountain back together. I also had that. Yes, I love that. And then that old man's laugh. He laughed for approximately five minutes in the end of that movie. Yeah, he had a great laugh. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I have greed corrupting. Yeah. Um, because at the end they split up three ways. They each had thirty-five thousand dollars, which in nineteen. So I did them. I looked it up. In twenty twenty-one, thirty-five thousand dollars was the equivalent of over five hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Oh my god. So they each had half a million. Yeah. Just split their own way. Yeah. But that that wasn't Damn. enough. Mm-hmm. I also had Howard insisting to put the mountain back. Um, when they when they fought the guy who was the yeah, what are you being the what was it the Mc, the Barton what was it the Barton McLean character because he he was the one that stiffed them on their wages and so they beat him up in that scene. Yes, and they take his money, but they only take what. He was owed, owed. and then he they throw the rest of the money back down in his face. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, that says oh. they were people with good character. They had but, morals." Until, but what's his? Yeah, you can make that thing, but that one guy, uh, Humphrey Bogart's character. Some people will say like, "Oh, it corrupted him," but he was a piece of shit to me from the beginning because he yes. kept asking the the same guy over and over again and didn't even recognize that it was the same man. I did notice he didn't make eye contact. Yeah, with he who didn't he make was. eye contact, but he but yeah, he knew that he was the American because he was in right. the white suit. Right. Um, and then he never would go and get a meal from it. He would go and. You know, I, at one point he like gets a shave and stuff, and yeah. a haircut and stuff. So, and that oh. head was his head was so greasy. It was it's so greasy. the biggest head ever. It, I just, I'll bet that I'll bet that I, wig was extra extra large. I just found myself leaning in and I'm like, is it because I'm into the movie or is that the gravitational pull of Humphrey Bogart's <laughs> head just keeps pulling me? Toward the screen. My God, the, the man's been dead for so long, and yet the, his head's so big, it still has a gravitational. <laughs> she says that to me all the time. It's huge. <laughs> um, the I like how they had the the same music, but it was different arrangements. When they're walking to get to where they're gonna, you know, set up shop, 
and how Howard is like a goat going up yeah. the hill, and it's yeah. all like it's a it's a peppy beat. And then when it cuts back to Curtin and Dobsey, it it's the same music, but it just the arrangement is more of a funeral procession. It's like uh uh because they're just struggling. And when they would just collapse, that was Poppy and me after a day of painting. <laughs> just um okay, and then fine, I thought the ending was great. I love the I like the way that it ends. I did too. Okay, so we are two quotables. There were so many. So I didn't do them in the beginning because, of course, I'm taking notes for the setting the table. But I do, uh, this, I love this one. This was Howard. Howard, to me, it was the original Eckhart Tolle. He was. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. Because he was, whatever comes, comes. We deal with it. We move on. And so he's LVPs, ma. He said, got something up your nose, blow it out. I like (laughs) that one. That's because I'm always blowing my nose. We wounded this mountain. Now we got to make it right. (laughs) Humphrey Bogart says, because they're talking about um, the guy who died and uh, going back to his wife and giving her a share of what they got. And Humphrey Bogart goes, you two guys must have been born in a revival meeting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then, of course, the the banditos. The banditos saying, badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you no stinking badges. That was That is on the American Film Institute's it's number 36 on the most famous movie quote. Oh, and my God. It's, it's often misquoted as uh, we don't need no stinking badges. Yeah, and we don't need no stinking. I say that all the time. Oh, yeah, you do. Is. We don't need no stinking. You I say, yeah, you I say that too. All the time, like at the beach, we don't need no stinking badges. And, and you're, look at you, butcher in the movie quote. Wow. Now you have to do the whole soliloquy to say it. Badges? <laughs> <laughs> I don't got to show you no badges. You ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. We don't have to show you any stinking badges. Start memorizing. Okay. This will be forgone as as soon as this computer is turned on. I'll go back to we don't need no stinking badges. Yep. Mine. The sooner we're through, the sooner we'll be back in town drinking cold beer. There you go. Uh, water's precious. Sometimes it can be more precious than gold. Mm-hmm. Well, ain't that, I'm out here. I got the governor breathing down my throat saying, hey. You need to voluntarily cut your water. You can't if, cut your water anymore. If it's yellow, let it mellow. No, 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 no. I don't know why this one made me laugh, but I'm keeping my boots on this night. Because, <laughs> yeah, because he thought that the other guy was trying to get his stuff. Yeah. And the other guy was Mr. Nice Guy. And then my favorite quote, this might be my, this Go, I need to remember to write this in my running for the awards for this year. You're so dumb, there's nothing to compare you with. 
Oh, God, I'm going to hear that at the beach. Excuse me? No, that makes you so that makes us all sound like we are just heathens and so mean to you. Oh my god. We're we're equally mean to each other, and that's our love language. Am I wrong? Okay, okay true. But no, not when it comes to into like dumb and stupid. Those were always off limits. You had to be very creative in how you insulted someone's intellect in this family. Yeah, because okay. I have did we already say I know what gold does to men's souls? Nope. Oh, oh Howard says that. Oh man. That I have okay, I this this is a bit of a long one, but I thought it was so great. Here in this joint, it seems like a lot, but I tell you, if I was to make a real strike, you couldn't drag me away. Not even the threat of miserable death would keep you from trying to add 10,000 more. 10, you want to get to 25. 25, you want to get to 50. 50, 100, like roulette. One more turn. You know, always one more. Because oh. he, he told them, he was like, you, you think that you would be fine and you would turn away, but that's not how it works. And then this is just when Howard is just dropping dimes at yeah. that flop house. Just saying the truth. He says, but when piles of gold begin to grow, that's when the trouble starts. Yeah. And then also at the end, Howard, because um, he's he's laughing, but Howard's got it made in the shade because he saved that little boy. And so he's just, he's going to go and be he a was living man. a good life. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to get worshiped for telling people what they want to hear. And it's just like Howard had life figured out. He knew everything. He was old. He knew, he knew that Dobbsy was going to be trouble. And I like watching it because he does. He just know he's just trying to defuse the situation. Yeah. Because he's just like this guy is. He's got the gold fever, and the gold fever. That's a thing. And also, as long as everyone else has been reminiscing, this made me reminisce about my favorite putt putt in Ocean City, the Gold Rush. <sighs> Remember was, the gold rush. I loved it. It was my I used to wash the family when it came to that gold rush. Yeah, I was the yeah. champion of that. It was my favorite putt putt. It was such a fun putt putt. And oh man. R.I.P. Gold Rush Ocean City. Gentrification. Yeah, now it's a dough roller. One of 15,000 dough And remember, one time we went into the dough roller and it was my pick because I was like, let me let me try this restaurant that, that bulldozed my beloved Gold Rush. And I am very forgiving when it comes to my eats. I am not and a harsh dough, critic. I mean, for us, something called the dough roller, how can you go wrong? Well, and there's like 50 of them. I mean, yeah, yeah well... They won't be sponsoring this podcast. No, and they don't need to exist. They're disgusting. They're they're on the par with Chuck E. Cheese pizza, people. From the 80s, Chuck E. Cheese pizza. I've heard it's improved. I'm not gonna find out for myself. I don't I don't have a horse in this because 
this well had been poisoned for for Chuck E. Cheese pizza. It was I, there was no way I even if I had tried it and loved it, there was no way I could like it. No, you weren't. Well, you weren't getting it again as long as you were under our 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 payment, uh, us paying for it. <laughs> okay, so those were the uh, quotables. But I have to tell you. 13 listeners, there are a lot more. It starts out with quotables. Quotables run through the whole thing. Yeah, there, and there's so much of this movie that is that you don't really realize no matter how old you are, how young you are, that you know this movie even though you don't know this movie mm-hmm. because it just, like the gold mine, it just trickles down. It does. I mean, let alone, even though it's misquoted, we don't need no stinking badges. Who has not heard that? So we are to LVP. Um, Mine is Dobsy and Greed. Okay. Mine is the little boy witch magic he tried to do to to cure them. (laughs) I didn't buy that one one bit where he was going his arms back. What? 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 That's... Guys, it was very simple. He just did the arm moves and then was just like, oh, give me the bottle of tequila. The tequila is what woke the kid up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because he had to go, and then he started to breathe again. No, but that's the thing, Ma. He didn't even do that. He was just, he was probably in a a small coma for a little bit of time. And then he he just eventually got the, the sweet, sweet nectar of the tequila. On his lips, because you know the nectar, the the sweet agave of the gods. You know the woman was like, just okay. Here, I've you know it was. That's probably where George and his buddy went, and that's the Casa Amigos. Randy Gerber. Yeah, they were Mm -hmm. like, ah, this is Casa Amigos. Speaking of which, totally off topic. Have you seen Randy Gerber's son? No. Gorgeous. But isn't his mom Cindy Crawford? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but sometimes that can go very, very wrong or very, very right. Uh, I mentioned someone you used to go to school with. And um, so that doesn't always work out that great. Yeah, well, the person that I, that you, that we're referring to was, um, it was the opposite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It so was it was the the two negatives that made the positive. You're talking. I don't know. That would be interesting to go into. Although it is very mean spirited of the two positives, and it's like who is the ugliest kid of the two be- of like like David and Victoria Beckham? Are any of their mm. kids hideous? Yeah, the Jolie Pitts. You know. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I digressed again, and we're not going to, because they might be one of our 13 lists. Yeah. It, 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 Don't it, think so. And also, like, their kids, and then it's, like, their looks, and, like, they didn't have anything. They didn't choose their parents. And you know what? Looks are very superficial. It's what's inside that counts. Look at Humphrey Bogart. He's like, look at me. I was I was a movie star. But he is because, Okay. Okay, moving on. Um, uh, uh, did anybody uh, have we all done LVPs? No, mm-hmm. I have not done my LVPs. My honorable mention is Dobzy. 
because he is the epitome of an unconscious being in the grips of ego. Every time he opened his mouth, I just laughed an Eckhart Tolle laugh. Because I was just like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what he's talking about. Exactly. Consciousness. What are you talking about? I don't need anything. Don't <laughs> Every time he's talking about himself, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you are just an Eckhart Tolle meme right now. But my real, this is going to be a controversial LVP, oh. ladies. My real LVP is Curtin. <gasps> because he got shot twice. First of all, he shouldn't have even gotten shot the first time because you knew that Dobbs was crazy and he was only going to end up shooting you. And then he got shot twice. He was able to survive. Yeah, no antibiotics, all no. that dirt. Right, but he, but then he got... Well, look who you had to cure him, the old man. Yeah. No, the old man didn't cure him. That... Ooh. Well, he might have behind the scenes. Because he... No, he goes, and then he goes to where Howard is with the indigenous people. Yeah. And who is him. it? It's the woman. Probably mm. the same woman who was holding the bottle of tequila that brought the boy back. She yep. should really... Oh, the that's what I'm saying. Why did they need... Why did they need Howard if she could bring him back because from the verge of death? He's the savior, and he's just going to tell the people what they want and look the part. He's got it made in the shade. Howard knows what's up. But anyways, to get back to the LVP curtain. So then they go. So he gets patched up. They go to find the horses. The bandits have gone. The bandits just thought that it was sand in between the pelts to make the pelts more. So they busted up all the bags. And then the sand, the dust storm comes and they go. And that's when Howard is just laughing his ass off because it's just like all of our gold. But I understand that. But if Curtin had just been like, okay, maybe you're not going to get your 35,000 back. But he still could have picked up enough of, like, the dust Thank around. You. Yeah. They didn't want to, like, stick around. Like, you just spent all this time here. You didn't want to stick around and look for any of it. And then the, what's the last shot of the film? Next to the cactus was a full bag yep. of gold. I agree. I mean, he just, like, he got shot, and he was just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to this widow who's doing the fruit orchard. And see how that pans out. That's why he's my LVP. Because if he had just looked around, he still could have put a little bit of money in his pocket. Yeah. He was going to go to the fruit orchard. And he was going to find this rare piece of ripe fruit, the widow. Mm. And he was going to... And then he was going to have the orchard he always dreamed of and the family he dreamed of and she you could have be- had all of that nonetheless cody's not coming back from the grave all he I had know, to do was like the, get- the gold was tainted it was tainted gold <laughs> tainted gold okay well we mvp re- mvp My MVP is old dude Howard, original Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Howard. Howard. 
Mine is one specific scene, and it made me laugh so hard. It made Adam and I both laugh. <laughs> and it just came from out of nowhere. There was a bunch of gunshots in the distance, and then somebody just goes, so much for those bandits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we all laughed out loud at that. That was a good one. Yeah. Hey, bye. Um, my honorable mention MVP, which a good thing I put it as honorable mention. I thought that that was Walter Houston's real hair, and I thought that it was magical and impeccable. Oh no, he had short hair. No, it was, but it it was still short, awesome, impeccable hair. I loved how it stood straight up. I thought it was. Just, I was like, man, what a great head of hair this guy has. And then I was reading in that that was a wig as well. No. I don't know. I definitely know Humphrey Bogart's was a wig, but I thought that Howard's hair looked fantastic. It was so full and so silvery. And That was like, a wig? See, I, I don't, don't think so. It's weird. In Wikipedia, it does this thing, because I have it in Tasty Nuggets. In Lauren Bacall's memoir, she mentions how during Dark Passage... Uh, Bogey rapidly lost all of his hair. When he showed up on location for this film, he was pretty much completely bald. And so they said that all three of the actors wore wigs that were like perfectly matted. But I didn't think that Curtin and Howard were wigs, but we've already established I'm horrible at identifying wigs. I yeah. loved Curtin's hair, truth be told. So oh, Curtin with the curly hair? Yeah. Yeah. I just really loved the lush thickness and how silvery it was with yeah. Howard and it just stood I was just like he has really cool like older man hair yeah and when I see pictures of older John Houston he has a, a, a head of gold of sil of gray so, hair so that, hair. it's like B Travern it's up for dispute okay My real MVP is little mexican boys because it was the oh problematic because it was robert blake but little mexican boys sold him the lotto ticket that allowed him to get the prospecting gear yeah uh -huh. little mexican boys were the ones who uh he woke up yeah you know yeah. uh, and gave howard his whole medicine man career yep Little Mexican boys, who was the one that noticed the brand on the burros when yeah. the bandits came in? Yep. I yep. was like, oh, mm -hmm. wait, these are bandits. And, you know, dimed them out to the federales. So I'm just saying, little Mexican boys. Okay. Wow, I just thought a really, really totally LVP thing that I'm not going to say. So now we are to recasting. And I did a recasting from a TV series. I only did Dobbs, Curtin, and Howard. That's all I did. Okay. Christine, would you like to use <laughs> <laughs> LOL. Erin, would you like to do your second? Yeah, I have two. Do one. 
I'll okay. do mine, and then you do your second. Okay. So my first one is for uh, Dobbs. I thought this is this is this isn't now. This is um maybe like a couple of years, maybe um circa training day when that came out. Okay. So Dobbs, Denzel Washington. And I thought of him. I did so good, mm-hmm. you know. And then as Curtin, Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. And then as Howard, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that's very mm. good. Very good. Mm. I took it to a gender switch. Um, okay, so I did uh, Dobbs, uh, Uzo Aduba, Crazy mm-hmm. Eyes from Orange is the New Black. Oh. Come on. Oh, good She's got the crazy eyes. So Curtin is Danielle Brooks, who was tasty. Uh-huh. Oh. And the old man, Lorraine Toussaint. Yes. Who was Yvonne. Um, mm-hmm. she was a she was a badass, but she could totally have done this. So that's good. So my second cast is also a gender switch. I went with Dobbs. Francis McDormand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Curtin. Actually, Francis McDormand could do every part. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's just a, she's just great. Curtin. Cersei Ronan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Howard. Gene Smart. I watched Hacks this week. Oh shit. You know what? I Jean mean, Jean Smart, Smart needs to be so. Because remember when she was in Designing Women and she was oh, hilarious. Jean Smart deserves to be up there in the Frances McDormand echelon of yeah, just great American actresses. Exactly. She can do it all. She can be hilarious. She can be dramatic. Look at the career she's had. She can be a total bitch. She mm-hmm. was um. Uh, the mom in mayor of East town. East town. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she is, she is my National new favorite treasure, new favorite at the moment. Okay. So we are to tasty nuggets. So the thing about Humphrey Bogart and why he came to this movie almost bald is he was taking hormone shots to him improve his ability to give Lauren Bacall a baby. Oh, I mean. So he was losing his hair because of that and because of his excessive drinking and binging that he had done all those years before. I don't, did he, did he ever impregnate Lauren Bacall? I don't think so. No, because I think her son was with the uh, another actor. Oh, her son was with um the actor that she was with after Humphrey Bogart. Hmm. I forget, but he he wasn't a great guy. But that was who her son is, and her son was an actor. And the the name is just slipping me. Okay, but it because he was Humphrey Bogart was significantly older than Lauren Bacall, and that's just one of those things where. If, if 
go back and look at pictures of Laura Bacall at that time, and I I would totally see Humphrey Bogart just like I shoot me up with whatever whatever you got. Wait, there was a uh, there was a daughter Leslie Howard Bogart. Oh, okay, so it worked. Sam Robards, is that who yeah, you're thinking of? Yeah, Robards, yes. And Jason Robards. Yeah, who, there were, uh -huh. there were issues there. Well, it, it appears that Lauren Bacall had a type. Uh, she loved the hard-drinking men there for a... Uh, was oh, also, she uh, was 19, he was 43 when they met. Ooh. Yeah. But um, Stephen Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, they had kids. Yeah, they oh, did. So it worked. So, you know, I mean, he, it, it, to me, to, if I were in Humphrey Bogart's shoes, it's like, yeah, uh, that's a horrible wig, but, uh, I have a family with Lauren Bacall. Of course it ended kind of very shortly thereafter, didn't it? And how strange that his name is Leslie Howard Bogart. Cause Leslie Howard was. An... Okay. Look at you with your 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 innuendos. Sorry. Okay. Um, tasty nuggets. Uh, uh, this was, go oh, ahead, go Teeny. Go Keep ahead. going. Well, this was a father-son Oscar win. Oh. Yes, it was the first time. Did you get the quote that Walter said in his acceptance speech? He said, "Quote: Many many years ago, I brought up a boy, and I said to him, son." If you ever become a writer, try to write a good part for the old man sometime. Mm -hmm. Well, by Cracky, that's what he did. By Cracky! Uh-huh. And cracky. so think about how, because then he also won two Oscars that night. So that's awesome. He wrote this thing. His dad gets an Oscar. And then, do you know, later in life, he does, a, he does Prizzy's Honor, and his daughter Angelica Houston gets an Oscar for a movie that he directed. Wow, that's got to so feel amazing. He gave his amazing. father an Oscar, and he and got his, his daughter. daughter an Oscar. Well, um, Humphrey did say, one Houston is bad enough, two are murder. I believe that. This was um, Steven Spielberg's said that Dobbs's performance was his main inspiration for Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. Dobbs. Bad dude, Humphrey Bogart. I thought so too. Um, at one point, somebody asked him to tone down his father's performance because he was upstaging Bogey. Uh -huh. They kept talking about tigers. There were no tigers. Yeah. They were like, mountain lions. Yeah, like maybe mountain lions. Yeah. Well, will eat you but i'm like i don't i don't really know too much about tigers in this in the, no. the mexican yeah <laughs> no, tigers. no tigers just mountain lions um i have in 1990 was selected for preservation in the united states national film registry by the library of congress as being culturally historically or aesthetically significant mm-hmm and then there were, uh, Walter Houston had to speak fluent Spanish, but the only words he knew how to say were dosa keys. <laughs> and he just memorized. <laughs> dosa keys. I love it. 
They originally had a Spanish actor who they were gonna like, or a Mexican actor who they were gonna have dub over. He was gonna dub over, but he ended up just memorizing, memorizing everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's good. <laughs> Which is the only thing I know how to say in German is "Ein Bier bitte." Yeah. Oh, not guy, not guy, bitte. Yeah, that's another one. Another one. <laughs> another. And, Tini, if you're in Germany and you hold up your index finger for one, you're going to get two. Because your thumb is one, your index finger is a, That's how my dad does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what I would not want it any other way. I know you wouldn't. Uh, we have to make a trip sometime. Yes. I have that. So this was nominated for Best Picture and then it won for Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Screenplay. Um, Houston, I, I mentioned this before, he wanted to make this after the Maltese Falcon, but World War II happened. He made documentaries during that time. Vincent Sherman was going to direct a uh, adaptation of this film, of the book, during World War II, but the motion picture code said the script was too derogatory towards Mexicans. Oh. So well, the I'm banditos, like, but I don't like in the in the. If we're being honest, I don't really think that the that the Mexicans are portrayed that great in this no, film no. at all. You know, they're, they're portrayed as silly and yeah, as other and and um, you know the like very uh, what's the word? Like just just not intelligent and mm-hmm. just farm folk. You know, looked down upon. Um, so I'm kind of like, wow, what in 19, in 19, in the, during war, in the 1940s, somebody was like, whoa, whoa, man, <laughs> hold up. You're, you're crossing a line. Yeah. Anytime in, in these earlier times where people are like, that's a bit too far. I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, what was it? However, Jeez. there's a, there's a ship full of Jewish people trying to get in your country that you don't let in. You will not let in. Yeah. I know. Because oh. there's all these other things where, you know, in history where people are absolutely horrible. So it's always interesting. We're like, well, what? What was this? Oh, my gosh. Um, Bogart said to a film critic that he was coming out of a nightclub probably after when he would had signed up to do this and he told the critic wait till you see my next picture i play the worst shit you ever saw (laughs) and he does he does Uh indeed he does um john houston wanted to cast ronald reagan as cody oh okay but jack l warner uh, insisted on casting ronald reagan in another picture yeah something stupid yeah dumb um, this was one of the first Hollywood productions to be shot on location outside the U.S. in the state of Durango, and street scenes were shot in Tampico, Mexico, and but many other scenes were shot in the studio and elsewhere in the U.S. It didn't do that well initially off of the box office, but as soon as it came out, critics really praised it and loved it. The windstorm for the final scene was used creating jet engines that were borrowed from the Mexican Air Force. Oh. But there was a there was controversy, controversy because they were saying that jet engines weren't really ready to do that at that point. 
I read that, and then they were oh. saying, no, jet engines weren't, weren't so ready. Maybe it was like they used some sort of airplane. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably an that. airplane engine of yeah. some kind. Yeah. They were just like, oh, it's a jet engine, mm-hmm. you know. Like, Poppy would be like, mm, excuse me, no. Oh, excuse that me, is, that is not that the L4798 um, biplane with the, um, no, no, no. It would have sounded like this, instead of like this. Um, Walter's granddaughter, Angelica Houston, sang September song on May 7, 2012, in the episode of the NBC TV series Smash, which I bring up to tie into the movie we did last week, The Greatest Showman, because the people that did the music in The Greatest Showman also worked on M- on NBC Smash. Whoa! Look at that! Mm-hmm. Circling back around. Both Daniel Day-Lewis and Vince Gilligan used the Humphrey Bogart's performance as Dobbs as the inspiration uh-huh. For Daniel Day-Lewis is Daniel Plainview and There uh-huh. Will Be Blood. And for Vince Gilligan, Walter White in Breaking Bad. Yes. Um, and, oh, this is interesting. So when they were on location filming, Houston ran into trouble with the local newspaper that reported that the film was demeaning to Mexicans. So they're mm. shooting, everything's going well. And then all of a sudden, they a bit of a vibe on the set and Houston's like what what is going on and then you come to find out that the newspaper uh was saying hey this movie that you all are working on and you're being all nice to these Americans it's actually really demeaning to Mexicans Uh and you come to find out that the editor of the newspaper had not been slipped his customary money. Ah. And so then um, John Houston went, he had a couple of famous friends who happened to be famous Mexican artists, Diego Rivera and Miguel Coveribias. Mm-hmm. I apologize to this man who talked to the president of Mexico and smoothed things over and the accusations were dropped. A few weeks later, the editor was shot and killed Uh-oh. by the jealous husband of the wife that he he caught in the act. So the newspaper man was caught in the act with this man's wife, and he shot and killed the newspaper editor. So hmm. that was the end of that. Hmm. Mr. Manix have anything to do with that? Uh, I don't I forget who Manic what studio Manix worked for. And also, I don't know. That was all per the old Wikipedia. Ah, so yes. Bound to be right. Okay. It's gotta be right. Um, Christine, do you have tasty nuggets? I did mine. And they were outstanding, as I recall. <laughs> So I felt like it was time for a comedy. Hmm, yeah. We are still in the 1940s. Okay. Oh, okay. And this is a film where the um, the premise of the film is one of the first things that Aaron, Christine, and I bonded over. Murder. Murder. <laughs> um, more than just murder, though. 
Serial killers. Serial killers. Oh, in the and it's a it's a dark comedy because it's a comedy, but you know, dealing with serial killers. Nineteen forty-four. Old lace. How do you do that? <laughs> I mean, I had all these other clothes ready, and the bitch comes up with arsenic and old lace. Never even heard of it. Set in Brooklyn. Oh. Um, I know that this used to be a favorite script that high schools would do their plays from because uh, evidently there, <laughs> there's not a lot of troublesome parts. It's 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 the same serial editor, killers. But arsenic and old lace. It shows up a lot when when I'm doing the particulars. Uh-huh. And the editor of this edited arsenic and old lace. And it's one of those things where I've always heard about it. So Me it's too. always been on my list. So when you were like the 40s, you know, I just, uh, a broken clock is right twice. So, okay. So, yeah, we have Peter Laurie and, and Cary I, Grant. And I mentioned Peter Laurie earlier. You did indeed. Oh. So we're going to, I haven't seen it. It is an hour and 58 minutes, Christine. Okay, so I'm in for that. Right in your in your, um, I've heard about it and heard about it, and so. What year was it? 1944, which is just definitely in those war years. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, next week join us for a comedy because we make a comedy out of everything. Well, there you go. Oh. Oh.